We are rescued by the blood of the cross. We have been given life, brand new life in Jesus. All our past is washed away. All our sins, all our junk, all our addictions, all the stuff we sang about before, because of our relationship with Jesus is gone. I remember what I was. I remember what he did. I know what I am now, and I don't want to keep that to myself, which is exactly what we've been sharing over the last couple of weeks and are going to do that for the next week. You have sermon notes in your Bible. I want you to take them, or your sermon in your bulletin this morning. I want you to take them out. I do appreciate your prayers for the Africa team. They came home safely on Monday, as you saw Dave and Pam here this morning, and all the rest of them, so thank you for that. Thank you for all the cards and prayers and concerns from my wife, Connie. Uh, the doctor, as we met with him on Tuesday morning, does not feel it's cancerous, but needs to be a... Thank you. But there is a softball-sized mass that needs to come out, and uh, she's scheduled to do that. I know a lot of you deal with issues, but it's so hard for me to answer all the questions. This is the only way I can answer it for everybody here this morning. For a couple of weeks, somewhere in the mid-90s, baseball season was not quite the same. They were on strike. Million-dollar arms were at home trying to negotiate for more money. The owners, determined to start the season, did something that nobody could have imagined. They opened the doors to anybody who could scoop up a grounder. They weren't even minor leaguers. They were on strike. These were fellows who went from coaching literally one week to wearing a Red Sox uniform the next week. The games weren't fancy. One manager said his pitchers threw the ball so slow the radar gun couldn't even track it. <laughs> that you could shell a dozen peanuts before it got from the outfield across home plate. But man, did these players have fun. When the coach said run, they ran. They arrived before the park was open. They left when it was closed. They thanked the attendants for washing their uniforms. They went up personally into the fan room to thank the fans for paying a few dollars to come and watch. These guys didn't see themselves as a blessing to baseball, but baseball blessing to them. They didn't expect luxury. They were surprised by it. They didn't demand more playtime. They were thrilled to get what they had. It wasn't classy, but man, was it pure joy watching them play. These guys didn't make it to the big leagues on skill. They weren't picked because they were good enough. They were picked because they were willing and they knew it. There was no second-guessing to management. <laughs> These guys didn't even complain if they didn't have their name on the jersey. They were just happy to be on the team. And so should we. Right? I mean, those of us who know Christ as our Savior are living a life we don't deserve. What we deserve is death. He has offered us life. But here we are... Not good enough to get picked, but he chose us. He chose us. A lot of us aren't skillful enough to make a softball league, but our names are on the greatest roster in history. God's grace has placed us on a dream team beyond imagination. You and I are on the greatest team the world has ever known, the church of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, that should thrill us down to our soul. I have been chosen by God Y'all remember what it was like to be in grade school and all of a sudden at recess time, my grandson just switched to a new school this year and he is the most thrilled of all that they have two recesses. His biggest excitement of the whole deal is they get two recesses. 
But y'all remember being in that context and somewhere, I mean, I grew up in one of those four-room schools. I know that's how old I am. I didn't have to walk to school uphill both ways in the snow. I didn't do that. But it was one of those old school rooms. We had a baseball field or a softball field out back. And we would go out on recess and two guys would stand up or two people would stand up. And then they would choose who's going to be on whose team. Do y'all remember those days? I mean, that was some of the most exciting or some of the most humiliating days of your life. Because if you got chosen, especially if you got chosen by the cool guy or the cool girl, you thought, I've got it, man. I have got it. And if all of a sudden they're walking out to play and you're still standing there waiting to be chosen, it's kind of humiliating. I know. (laughs) A couple more sessions and I'll be over it. But do you remember what that was like to all of a sudden know I'm chosen by him, I'm chosen by her to be on that team, to be on their team and pick up basketball, pick up softball, whatever it is. I got chosen by them. You and I have been chosen by God to be on his team, to help change the world. Not just our communities, not just our neighborhood, but to literally help change the world. Jesus said, my team, by the way, won't lose. Even if we take on the gates of hell itself, it won't lose. But we've got to give it all we got because it's a tough battle and the cost of losing is eternally high. Did you know in your notes that 85% of the churches in America are stagnant or declining? 15% of those aren't growing, uh, that are growing, most of it is transfer growth. Look at this, these notes I have in your bulletin. 3,500 people a Sunday decide not to go back after an experience or two. Thousands of churches close every year. One to 200 are going to close this week. I mean, I hope you fully appreciate the fact that it's hard to find a seat here this morning. That you and I have an opportunity to be a part of the family of God and a church that is growing and communicating the word of God, singing and giving praise to Almighty God, singing with every fiber of our soul. And we're a part of this amazing thing called the Church of Jesus Christ. Joe did a great job of setting the stage for where we're at this week and last Sunday and this Sunday in a sermon series out of Matthew chapter 5 called Pass the Soul. Aaron, your sermon notes are some of the things. I, I listened to those last Sunday morning and I said, Joe, you got to send me those. Those are awesome. Descriptions of what it's like to be in a crowd and what it's like to be one of the disciples. And the disciples were the ones that given the charge of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 and in Acts chapter 1. Look, what you have found in me, man, you've got to take this around everywhere you go. You've got to take it everywhere you go, all the way to the end of the earth. What you have found in me, I hope you have understood, has changed your life. And it wasn't just to the 12. You've got to remember, when we talk about disciples, there was a time in Luke and a time in Matthew where he sent out 70 and 72. So it's not just those 12. And it wasn't even just those 70 or 72 that were there. It's you and I who are followers of Jesus Christ have been given the same commands. What you have found in me, man, pass it along. Remember what you were before me? Remember what you were without me. Remember what you are now. Story after story after story of people who had it all that the world could offer and found this deep depth hole in their soul they couldn't explain. Had a young man a few weeks ago say the same thing. I've tried it all. And I can't find that thing in my soul that needs filled. And obviously had the opportunity to let him find Jesus. 
You and I have the opportunity to be called disciples of Christ. Not just a part of the crowd, not those who are just listening and hoping that it's a nice day or a nice Sunday and I, I, I get in and out of here in an hour and I go home and do my thing and go out throughout the week. But you and I are a part of the family of God that has the opportunity to change the world, to take what we have shared, what we have found, what we have learned and pass it on to those who do not know Christ. They say it takes 100 people working almost all year to bring two people to Jesus. Isn't that incredible? They say it takes 100 people all year to bring two people to Christ. Now, obviously, we have some every week in different contexts at all. And a couple of weeks from now, at a venison dinner, I know we're going to have a dozen, two dozen, three dozen, four dozen, five dozen guys that are going to commit themselves to Jesus. But it's not a matter of just raising our hand or signing a card. It's a matter of really changing a life. And seeing that life so transformed and so changed that I want to take what I have found in Jesus, and I want to share that with other people. This is too good to keep to myself. I want to pass the salt. I want, to, I want to savor the world. I want to make a difference where I'm at. The problem is, throughout the ages, the church has shifted from proclaiming the church to protect, proclaiming the truth to protecting the church. But not the early church. Man, the early church, they knew exactly what God had called them to do. They knew exactly what they had in Jesus, and they wanted to make sure that everyone knew that. What made them different? Well, in your notes, I think there are a number of reasons. Number one, they had a purpose. You heard Bain sing about that just a moment ago in that song. They had a purpose. They really clearly knew what it is that they were here to do. You all know why you're here today, right? I mean, just because it's Sunday is not good enough. I I love you enough to tell you the truth. But just because it's Sunday is not good enough. You know why you're here? Do you really understand and fully understand why you're here? Is it your desire to learn, to grow, to deepen your walk with God? To get excited about facing tomorrow and then go out and live and take and share what I have learned about Jesus to somebody else who doesn't know what I have found in him. To live a life in such a way that others recognize there is something unique and different about what I have found in Christ. And this is too good, way too good to keep it to myself. There's a couple of places in John 13. We're not going to see all the sermon uh, or all the verses this morning. But if you go back and look at John 13 and then his prayer, Jesus' prayer in John 17, there's some fascinating statements in there. In John 13, it's the upper room, final supper of Jesus. He doesn't call it the last supper we do. But he's spending some final moments with his disciples before he heads to the cross and dying and rising from the dead and all the things that go with that. They're having this meal together and recognizing that not everybody washed their feet on the way in because walking the dusty streets of Jerusalem are pretty intense, and so he, after the supper, took up a towel and took a bowl and poured water in it and began to wash the disciples' feet. It's one of the most incredible moments in all of the New Testament. What was unique about that is that when it says Jesus, knowing why he was here, knowing that his time had come, knowing what he was called to do, did this. Knowing why he was here, knowing what he was called to do, knowing that there was a time limit in that, this is what he did. And in John 17, when he starts to pray, what we call again the high priestly prayer of Jesus, he said, Lord, I'm coming, I'm done, I've done exactly what you called me here to do. Do you realize how incredibly fascinating that statement is? I mean, he had 12 disciples that we know of by name, half a dozen of them losers. Weren't sure if they were all going to follow him. Two or three that were really close. Only a couple of them that stayed with him in the most difficult times of his life. 
and you say you have finished everything you've been called here to do, I might have a hard time believing that. We have a number of incidences of healing, but i got to believe there's a lot more. There's not even a church. You don't even have a building, Jesus. But I finished everything you've called me here to do. Do you know what you're here for? Do you know why God has placed you on this planet? I grew up in the 60s and 70s when everybody was wondering, why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? What am I here to do? Some of them still looking for themselves. Do you know why you're here? Do you really understand what it is that God has called you to do? Do you know he knew exactly who he was? He knew where he was going. He knew his mission in life. And because of all that, he could endure the betrayal, the denial, the rejection, the pain, the crucifixion. You've got to know why we're here. Every so often someone comes to me or at least makes a statement, what's this church all about? I'm glad you're sitting down because I'm going to tell you. You ready? We're not selling shoes or manufacturing car parts. I know you're surprised. We're not selling shoes or manufacturing car parts. Now I say that because from my vantage point it seems somewhat obvious and I get that. You and I are here to give glory to God through worship and give our lives as an offering to him and then live that life. We're here to deepen our faith, to grow in him, to minister those in community where God leads us, to reach those who do not know Christ and bring them on this journey with us. So many churches spend months on statements to make faith practical, growing disciples. I read them all this week to see people saved and healed and discipled and growing, to be a place where love works, to become an equipping and mobilizing church that transforms the world. Every single one of them are awesome. But you need to know why we're here. You need to know what we're all about. You and I are here to glorify God through worship we give and the life we live. We are here through the worship we give and the life we live. That's what we're here for, to deepen our faith in God, to not stay the same, to be different, to learn more than where I was last month, last year, to continue to deepen my walk with God, to minister to those in our community wherever God leads us, to reach those who do not know Christ and bring them on the journey with us. Rick Warren, who's a pastor of Saddleback, one of the fastest growing churches in American history, said it's the purpose that drives the church where people are committed to growing through relationships, discipleship, worship, ministry, and evangelism. The secret isn't being a large church. The secret isn't being a large church, but a healthy church that really understands why we're here and what we're all about. That what we did this morning is we gave praise and adoration to God is one of the reasons we gather together corporately to be able to do that. You can sing all week long. I sing everywhere I go. My wife sings in the morning when she wakes up. But there's something wonderful about the corporate worshiping God together. So as a family, as a church, as CAC, we get the opportunity to give glory to God by worship and then live the life that he's called us to to want to grow in him, to deepen our walk with him, to do whatever he's called us to do to minister to the community. We can't do all the needs, but a sense of what it is he's calling us to do specifically and then do what we can to do that. To understand and sense specifically what he's called us to do and then to live out our faith. So that when people watch your life, they recognize there's a difference. By the way you respond to circumstances, by the way you respond to life, by the way you respond to death, by the way you respond to difficulty, by the way you work, your ethic, 
that people see and watch. They understand your values. They understand your family life. They understand how you treat people that are different than them. You want to see a great movie? Go get the movie or rent the movie or whatever you do called Woodlawn. W-O-O-D-L-A-W-N. You've never seen it? Fascinating. How the 1970s in a black-white context where it was so difficult for people to understand how to fit in, how the love of God just dramatically changed the community in Birmingham, Alabama. When people see our lives, what do they see about us? What do they recognize that they want? What do they see in the life that we live? The values we hold, the way we treat those around us, especially those that are different. We glorify God by doing everything we can to reach the lost. Because those without Jesus are lost. Now I have a statement in there, I've said it for years. Your belief will always determine your behavior. Your belief will always determine your behavior. What you believe about God, what you believe about why you're here and why you need to grow, all of those things will determine how you live your life. And your belief that people without Jesus are lost and have no hope of eternity without Christ, your belief in that statement, which is true, by the way, it's not just a statement, will determine whether or not you share your faith. If you wonder that or question that or think God's going to sort it all out in the end, then you probably will not share your faith on a regular basis or at all. But I'm here to tell you that people without Jesus are lost. And they have no hope of heaven without him. And when we believe that, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that we share our faith, that we do everything we can to tell people what we have found in Christ and to make sure we're not, not responsible for saving them. I don't save anybody. Jesus does. But I have the opportunity because I really believe in that to build relationships with non-believers enough to be able to want to share what I have found in Christ. You and I both, especially me, I hang around believers all the time. I go to a church with predominantly believers. I have a staff. They're all believers, by the way. Every one of them know Jesus, which is a good thing, right? We're around them all the time. I, do what, I have to do what I have to do. Joe said it last Sunday morning, which is great, to build relationships with non-believers. And you look at me and say, well, that's easy for you. You're a preacher. Can I just ask you to think about that statement for a minute? How many non-believers do you think want to hang around a preacher? Especially when they find out what you do for a living. I tell them I'm a communicator. I tell them I'm a speaker. I'm a public speaker. You know, and we'll get to those contexts and I say, I'm a pastor. I usually don't say I'm a preacher. I say I'm a pastor because I think there's a little bit of a difference. Do you think it's a little alienated? Whenever I tell them that, but I do everything I possibly can to live everything I have. I'm not saying I'm perfect in it, but I just want to make sure that I'm not, that I'm around people who don't know Christ and building those relationships that are going to want to know what we have found in Jesus. And when I do those things and I understand my commitment to Christ and commitment to other people, then I'm willing to take risks and do whatever I can to share the gospel. The second thing that made difference with the Acts Church, the early church, is they had a strategy. In their case, it was Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. What's your strategy? I mean, one of the easiest ones that I found is exactly what I said a while ago. When it comes to building relationships and then people want to know the difference in my life or want to know anything about what I do or where I'm at or where I'm at in my journey of of life, I always tell them what I was, what Jesus did, and where I am now. What I was, what Jesus did, and what I am now. 
What's your strategy? You've you got to know your purpose. You've got to know where you're going. You've got to have a decision, a determination to do the next thing, the next step, or take that next step. You know, when you're flying, if you're off by one degree for every 60 miles, you'll miss the runway by a mile. If you're a pilot, you do not want to miss the runway. What's your next step? Is there a person the is there a person that comes to your mind? There's that one person in my life. The very next step, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth sounds awesome. We're a part of that. We want to do that. But what's the next step you're taking? Who's that one person, the very first person that comes to your mind that you want to share with, that you want to find Jesus? Obviously, you want them to find Christ. You want to invite them to church and all of that. But what is the next step you need to take? Who is that person that immediately comes to your mind? Write their name down right now on that blank. And that's your target. That person is the one person that you're going to do everything you can to build a relationship with who does not know Christ. And that you're going to build a relationship with and you're going to look for opportunities. You never, I, I know people do that a lot. Lord, yeah, give me an opportunity to share faith today. They're there every day. I'm, I'm honestly, I don't think you ever have to pray for that. What you have to pray for is the courage to, to share when the opportunity opens up. Because they're around you all the time. They're around you everywhere you go. Lord, give me the courage that when I recognize and the understanding that when I hear your voice saying, now, hey, right now. That's it, that, that statement. Did you hear what they're asking? Did you hear what they're wondering? There it is, there's your opening. God, give me the courage to go into that opening. But who is that person in your life? Obviously, we're all about, as I said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. The circle keeps getting bigger. But what is that next step that you feel that God is asking you to take? We want to reach the world. We want to do everything we can to make sure that we're continually doing that. Where somebody is around us sharing the truth about Jesus. We're praying for the Lord of the harvest. We're praying to raise up workers. We're giving our money toward missions. We'll tell you about that in a couple of weeks. It is astounding what God is doing here in regards to that. And we're doing all of those things. But what is the very next step I want to take? Jesus said you only have really two priorities, to love God with every fiber of your being, to love people around you. And then, of all things, he gives us an example. He gives us an example in his context there of the Good Samaritan. When everybody else passed him by, he stopped, recognized the need, got off his donkey and do something. And then Jesus finished by saying, now get off your donkey and do something. Take that next step. Recognize the need around you. Recognize what that person is wrestling with. And do whatever you can. And thirdly, the early church knew their purpose. They had a strategy. And they took God at his word. They took God at his word. Jesus in John 14, 12. Write that down somewhere. Greater things you will do than I have done. And when you look at the gospels and you see the things Jesus did. You got to be blown away by that statement. You will do greater things than I have done. And you, if you believe that, then you will recognize the opportunities that God puts in front of us. 
They recognized that they believed that greater works that they would have done to reach the lost, and they did it. To glorify me, they were not going to miss a chance to do that. Did they have problems? Absolutely. But they resolved them and kept on going. In Acts chapter 8, they weren't going to let sin, or Acts 5, they weren't going to let sin go unexposed with Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 6, when their needs weren't getting met, they needed to help others and recruit others to keep moving and to keep doing what God has asked them to do. In Acts chapter 7, they weren't going to let fear of death stop them with Stephen's stoning. In Acts chapter 8, they weren't even going to let persecution stop them. They understood what they were here to do. They understood what God had called them to do. They believed and took God at his word. They were absolutely thrilled to be on God's side, to be a part of his family, to be a part of this thing that he bled and died for and raised up and sent out called the church. And they couldn't wait to share what they had found in him because it had so dramatically changed their life that they wanted others to find what they have found in Jesus. That's why we're here. We're here to glorify God, absolutely, to grow in our relationship with him, to deepen our walk with him. We'll give you every opportunity under the sun to do that. But if we only keep it contained with us, we've missed one of the ultimate purposes of why we exist and why we're here, to take what we have found in Jesus and pass it along. Bob said it a little while ago. Joe said it last Sunday morning, and I'm saying it again. Next Sunday morning, the three of us, Joe, Keith, and I are going to sit up here. Some have already sent in questions at butlercac.org. What is it that keeps you from sharing your faith? What are you concerned about when it comes to sharing your faith? What are the barriers that hold you back? Anything along that line, send it to us or fill it in that box. We're going to select them. We're not passing a mic next Sunday morning and trying to answer off the cuff. We're going to select them, and next Sunday morning we're going to try to answer those questions because we really do believe that we want to do everything we can to make sure that people that we don't, don't know Christ find him. And we, as a team, want to do everything we can to help you in that journey so that when it's all said and done, we stand before Jesus, we will know we have done what he called us to do. And we've done everything we could to reach those that God has put in our path to find what we have found in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. It is amazing. We are nobody. There's nothing special or unique about us, but you've chosen us. You've called us to be on your, in your church, a part of your family, to be called sons and daughters of the living God. It's incredible. And Father, we're just honored. We're thrilled to be a part of your family. We're thrilled to be a part of your church. We're thrilled to be a part of your bride. So, Father, as we continue to deepen our walk with you and grow in our relationship with you and look for opportunities to share our faith, give us the courage to do that, to recognize that one person, two people, five people, whoever that may be, who you have placed in our sphere of relationships that is lost without Jesus, use us in every way imaginable to help them find what we have found in you because it has changed ours life. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you here next Sunday.